First Peter, First Peter one. We're going to begin verses eighteen and nineteen in just a moment. The last few weeks we've been considering some of the essential doctrines that Christmas reminds us of, and today we're going to finish up kind of this short little series talking about the doctrine of the atonement. You know, there are so many aspects of the Christmas story that illustrate Christ's purpose in coming to earth. For instance, Jesus is both the Good Shepherd and the Lamb of God. And so it's fitting that He was born in a stable and laid in a manger, and that the first people to receive the announcement of Christ's birth were the shepherds out on the hillside outside of the town of Bethlehem. But you know, that imagery goes even deeper. Deeper than just illustrating the humility of Christ's birth. In fact, it goes all the way back to the garden. When God first sacrificed an animal to make a covering for man's guilt and shame, a covering which replaced man's self-righteous attempt to cover his guilt and shame by sewing fig leaves together, God sacrificed an animal and from the skin of that animal made a coat to cover Adam and Eve. The imagery continues throughout the Old Testament as you, for instance, read the story of the Passover and how an innocent lamb was sacrificed and the blood of that lamb was applied to the door jam of the Israelite homes. And as the death angel came through, that angel passed over the homes that were covered by the blood. And the imagery ultimately culminates with Jesus Himself shedding His blood on the cross for our sins. And all of these speak to an essential doctrine known as the doctrine of atonement. The basic meaning of the word that is translated atonement is a covering. It describes how our sins are pardoned by God. They are hidden, in a sense, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our English word, atonement, if you were to write it out and uh, put a little bit of space there, you could make three words, which may not exactly make sense, but it says, at one meant. And really, that is the idea of atonement, is that we have been made at one or one with God, again, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sins are hidden, our sins are covered, so that we have been restored to a right relationship with God. Through Christ, we enter into a right relationship with God, and through Christ, we remain in a right relationship with God. Now look here in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verses 18 and 19 are going to be where we begin today. Peter writing there says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish, and without spot. You know, it seems like every nativity scene that, that you see, not only will feature Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, but almost always there's a lamb in that picture. 
Now, we don't know for sure that there were any sheep in the stable that Jesus was born in. But I love the imagery there. Because you have the literal animal, the lamb, that reminds us that the baby in the manger was the ultimate, perfect lamb of God who would shed his blood for our sins. And today I want us to consider this doctrine of atonement and hopefully come away with a better appreciation for what God has done for us so that our sins would be forgiven. Heavenly Father, as we think about the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's impossible for us to to overstate the magnitude of what He did for us. That if it were not for Him choosing to die in our place, to be the sacrifice for our sins, we would have no hope of being forgiven, of being pardoned, and of receiving eternal life. We would be doomed to hell for all eternity. So Lord, I just pray that you would help us to appreciate the sacrifice of Christ a little bit more as a result of what we learn in your word today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When you go back to the Old Testament, you find that especially in the book of Leviticus, there were a number of rules and regulations that God gave to the Israelites about sacrificing animals. Which animals were to be sacrificed? Why? How? Exactly how they were to be cut up and divided? Which portions were to go where? And what was to be done with them? And you have many, many different kinds of sacrifices. Sometimes we think of just, you know, one particular sacrifice, like maybe the Day of Atonement. But actually, there were all kinds of different sacrifices. And have you ever really stopped to think about how often the Israelites were expected to bring a sacrifice, first to the tabernacle and later to the temple? I mean, sometimes it would be daily that they were expected to offer some kind of sacrifice to the Lord. And as you read through all of those regulations, there ought to be a question in your mind, why was this all necessary? What was the point of all this? Did God really enjoy animals being killed that much? Or what was the real reason for it? Well, it's really not until we come to the New Testament that we learn the full meaning behind all of that Old Testament ritualistic sacrificial system. Remember, Jesus said that He did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And Galatians tells us that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Everything that we read about in the Old Testament, especially in the law and the sacrificial system, was all to point us to a Savior who is ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to the book of Hebrews. We're going to spend a few minutes here considering... As we think about the atonement that Christ accomplished for us, we're going to think about the sacrificial system in general, and then we're going to see how Christ's sacrifice was the fulfillment of all that. So first of all, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. 
Look at verses 1 and 2. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. I want to note together, first of all, the repetition of the sacrifices in the Old Testament. One of the most important sacrifices in the Old Testament was the annual sacrifice that was offered on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, as it is called by some. On that day, the high priest would bring in a sacrifice and would sprinkle blood before the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat that was upon it. That annual sacrifice where the high priest went to the Holy of Holies was to make sure that the nation of Israel remained in a right relationship with God. It's what God prescribed for the nation to do in order to maintain right fellowship with the Lord. Now, the thing about that sacrifice that Hebrews points out especially is that it had to happen over and over and over again. Every single year on the same day, the high priest had to bring the same kind of offering, had to do the same kind of ritual, had to sprinkle the blood in the same place, and this went on for literally hundreds of years. That sacrifice was not permanent. It was only temporary, and it wasn't sufficient to provide full and complete atonement, so it had to be repeated over and over. The same is true of all of the Old Testament sacrifices. You find that they are repeated over and over and over and over again. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament was very redundant. It had to be done repeatedly. The reason they had, offer, had to be offered so many times is that those sacrifices... Though they were what God prescribed, they were not perfect sacrifices. That's what Hebrews says here. Notice again what the verse says. Because those sacrifices could never make the comers thereunto perfect. They were insufficient. If they were sufficient, then they could have, been, they could have ceased to offer them. But none of those sacrifices were sufficient to solve man's problem or to satisfy the holiness of God. The Old Testament sacrifices were constant. Let me give you a brief rundown of all the different kinds of sacrifices and offerings in the Old Testament. There were five main kinds of offerings that God commanded the Israelites to bring. There was the burnt offering outlined in Leviticus chapter 1, a grain offering in Leviticus chapter 2, a peace offering in Leviticus chapter 3, a sin offering in Leviticus chapter 4, a trespass offering in Leviticus chapters 5, 6, and 7. And of these, all of these sacrifices, they in, involve certain elements, whether it be uh, some kind of plants or mostly animals, and they had to be brought for a specific purpose. They would go through this ritual of dividing it up into certain portions, two or three, depending on the sacrifice. Part would go to God, part would go to the priest. If there was a third part, it would be kept by the person who offered it. And these sacrifices uh, were either voluntary or some of them mandatory, but all of them were just constant, repeated sacrifices. 
In addition to that, there were certain daily sacrifices that the priests were told by God that they were to offer. In addition to that, there were certain sacrifices to be offered on the Sabbath day. And in addition to that, there were more sacrifices on the high Sabbath days. In the Old Testament, you had your weekly Sabbath, which on our calendar would fall on a Saturday. Uh, But in addition to that, you had special holy days or holidays, as the term is that we have abbreviated for our language. Uh, There were seven different holy days that were additional Sabbaths on top of these sacrifices, making a total of 59 different Sabbaths throughout the year. And I'm out of breath just describing it. It was just a constant system over and over and over again of bringing all kinds of sacrifices to to the Lord. And that was what God told them to do. That's a lot of sacrificing. But even with that much sacrificing, it wasn't sufficient. Which is part of the reason that God gave the law, was to point out the insufficiency of our sacrifices. That even the sacrifice of of blood from bulls or goats or lambs and, and all of these other things could never solve our sin problem, could never satisfy ultimately and finally completely the demands of a holy God. In fact, they only served to remind us of our sin and of our need of a permanent Savior. In Hebrews 10, look there, verses 3 and 4. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So number two, if you're keeping an outline, the reminder of the sacrifices. The purpose of the sacrifices was never to solve our sin problem. Some people misunderstand the Old Testament law. They think God gave it so that man would have a way to earn his own salvation. And so they teach that if you'll just keep the commandments, and usually people who teach this will reduce it just down to ten commandments, when actually there were many more that God gave. But they'll say, if you'll just keep these commandments, then you will be saved. God never intended the Old Testament law to be a means for us to earn our salvation. Quite the opposite. God intended that the Old Testament law would prove to us we cannot earn our salvation. That even if we were given a God-given ritualistic system to follow... We could not save ourselves. In fact, all that system does is remind us over and over and over again that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Again, notice what the writer of Hebrews says here. In those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again of sin every year. God wanted the people to never forget that they were sinners in need of a Savior. The the imperfection of the sacrificial system highlights the imperfection of the sinner. So the imperfect sacrifices, all they do is prove that we are imperfect sinners ourselves. And that is the point that everybody needs to get to in their life, that they realize that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. And we say often that when we talk about sharing the gospel, witnessing to people, 
that one of the hardest things to do sometimes is to get people lost before you can get them saved. Because people have to understand that they are a sinner. It's not just that we have, you know, personality flaws. It's not just that, you know, well, we all make mistakes. No, we are sinners who have offended a holy God and we have the penalty of sin on us because we're sinners. The Bible makes this very plain from beginning to end. Romans 3, 10 and 11, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good. There is none that seeketh after God. Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5, 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20 says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Galatians 3.22, But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin. Everyone is a sinner. You know, as we think about the imagery of Christmas, and we see Jesus there in the manger, and we think of Him as the Lamb of God, He Himself is a reminder that we are sinners in need of a Savior like that. Because the penalty of sin is death, and that death is eternal separation from God in hell, then the payment for our sin must be eternal if it's going to be complete payment. Now here's why the Old Testament sacrifices repeatedly remind us that we are sinners. Because those sacrifices were the sacrifice of a temporary life, of an animal life. All right, animals do not have eternal life. I, I know we like to think that our dogs and our cats are going to join us in heaven, but they're not. I remember watching the movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven. It's not true. Okay. Animals have temporary life. And so to sacrifice an animal could only provide a temporary covering. The penalty for sin is eternal death. Therefore, to pay that penalty fully, eternal life must be offered. Partial payments are not acceptable for our sin. By, by doing good works, that's what someone is trying to do. They're trying to make partial payments toward their sin. Well, I know I've sinned, but I'll do a little bit of good now, and I'll do a little bit of good tomorrow, and I'll do a little bit more the next day. And eventually, over time, I'm certain that I can pay for my sin. That's a works-based salvation. It's you and I trying to make payments against an overwhelming debt. It's not unlike the predatory lenders that we have today, people who will uh, go after uh, those who are in, in, in difficult situations and maybe not understanding financial things very well, and, and they'll offer them loans with exorbitant amounts of interest. Makes me so mad, by the way. I go down the road and I see all of these you know, payday loan companies and car title loan companies and all that sort of stuff. I'm telling you, if I was czar of the world, I would shut them all down. I think it's criminal what they do to some people. They, 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 they're charging them so much interest, it's almost impossible for them to ever get out of that debt. Well, let me tell you something. Sin is the ultimate predatory lender. You can never pay it off yourself. 
You can make payments your entire life doing as much good as you can and you will only end up in more debt at the end. A works-based system of salvation would never amount to anything. Your attempt to pay off your sin debt would never work. Now think about it though, if it could work, then what would you and I do once we earned our salvation? The Bible tells us we'd boast, we'd glory in it. Sticking with our financial illustration here, we'd be like some of those people that are on the uh, uh, financial management shows, like, I don't know, Dave Ramsey's one that comes to mind. These people will show up on the show or they'll call in and they'll talk about how that they, they paid off so much money in so many, so many months and, and how wonderful it is. And right there on the program, they're going to cut up their credit cards and they're going to hoop and holler and have this big celebration. Well, that might be fine for Dave Ramsey's show, but can you imagine how obnoxious heaven would be if that's what it was? If everybody going around saying, let me tell you how I paid off my sin debt. I did this and I did that and I did this and here I am today in heaven. That doesn't sound much like heaven to me. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans chapter 4, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Those sacrifices were a constant reminder that nothing we can do, not even following a God-given system of rituals, would ever be sufficient to solve our sin problem. We need our sins to be removed from us forever so that we can be saved from eternity. Number three, I want you to notice with me the removal of sin that we are in need of. Hebrews chapter 9. Look over there to verse number 22. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Now, pause there for just a second. You look back at all of those Old Testament sacrifices. Most of them involved shedding of blood. Not all, but most of them did. That's what it says here. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Why so much blood? Well, because the Bible also tells us that the life is in the blood. Okay? You remove all the blood from someone, they're not going to live. It took medical science some years to figure that out. Thankfully, we don't use leeches much anymore. So the blood represented the life. That's why the blood was shed. Okay? Now look back at our verse. Without shedding of blood is no remission. The word remission means to remove the consequences of something. And it's an aspect of the forgiveness that we need from God. We need the consequences of our sin removed from us. That consequence is death and hell from all of eternity. We need that gone. We need that removed. We need remission The Old Testament sacrifices provided a temporary remission 
through the blood of animals. But those sacrifices pointed forward to the day that Jesus ultimately would give His blood to redeem us and thus to give us permanent remission and atone for our sins. Only the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient to remove our sins permanently because His sacrifice is a superior sacrifice. Turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1 where we began. Peter is reminding the believers in this first chapter of his first epistle about how they were redeemed. And he begins by stating in verse number 18 how they were not redeemed. He said, you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Something is corruptible. If it's corruptible, that means that it's temporary. It's not going to last forever. It's amazing. I'm sure you've said this before. They don't make things like they used to, right? You know? We have, a, we have a freezer that is literally a month older than me. And we have abused that thing horribly over the years. You know what? still runs perfectly. Doesn't look pretty, but it works. I'm probably going to be passing it down to my grandchildren in the will, you know? Just... But you buy a brand new appliance today, you're lucky if you get a year out of it before you've got to have a service call on it, right? Things are corruptible. They don't last very long. You weren't, you weren't redeemed with corruptible things. And he uses the illustration of silver and gold because we associate that with, you know, transactions and buying and purchasing. No, we weren't redeemed. We weren't purchased by silver and gold. So what were we redeemed with? The precious blood of Christ. The word precious there. Special. It's unique. It's not like any other blood. Christ's blood was superior because His blood is the blood of God. His body is the body of God. Animals, because they are created beings, they've been affected by the fall. All of creation has been affected by the fall. And so the animals, they're, while we, they're not sinners, but their blood is not sufficient because it's still temporary. Only the blood of God Himself would be sufficient to atone for our sins for all of eternity. In order for the atonement sacrifice to be sufficient for all time, the life of the sacrifice had to be eternal. And here's the dilemma that only God could solve. The dilemma is that if something is eternal... It can't die. Are you following me? So how can we have an eternal sacrifice? That is a contradiction in terms unless God intervenes. Which is exactly why the incarnation was so important. God became man. God became human. And in so doing... Hebrews 2.9 says that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. God became man so that He could give eternal life as a sacrifice for man's sins. And thus, Jesus Christ 
by taking on human flesh so that He could die for us, became the perfect, permanent sacrifice. It was sufficient for all men for all time. We could do nothing more to add to what Jesus has done, and there's no need to. This is the distinction between biblical Christianity and the gospel and every other false religion out there. The distinction is this. The gospel says Jesus has done everything. There's nothing you can do, just trust. All other religions say whatever they want to say, but they include this, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. Some time ago, I was having a conversation with a gentleman here locally that I had met, and uh, he is from a, uh, a religious background that I, I'm not familiar with at all. He's Greek Orthodox. And so I had a, sat down, had coffee with him, and was talking to him, and in the midst of the conversation, trying to uh, decipher the difference in what we believe so that I could, you know, share the gospel with him, and very, very intelligent person, um, Really had an enjoyable conversation with him. But when we got to the talking about the subject of grace, it became clear to me the difference between what we believed. Because he did not believe, and he said it in as many words, that grace is the unmerited favor of God. That's not what he believes. He said while they believe that salvation has been mostly accomplished by God, there's still a little bit that we have to do. Folks, it doesn't matter if it's one-tenth of one-thousandth of one percent. If there is any amount of work that we have to do, then it's not by grace. Romans chapter 4. Very clear on that point. That if it's by grace, then it's not by works. If it's by works, then it's a debt. So if it's works, it's not grace. If it's grace, it's not works. There's nothing we can do to add to what Jesus has already done for us. Not only was the sacrifice of Christ a permanent sacrifice and a perfect sacrifice, it was also a personal sacrifice. Jesus Christ did not die for a nation or for the world as a single collective unit, but for each of us as individuals. Yes, for God so loved the world, but you know, when the Lord... When the Lord sees the world, He doesn't see just a glob, a mass of humanity. He sees every single individual. So that each of us can say, personally, God loves me. So each of us can say, personally, Jesus died for me. Hebrews 9, look there, verse number 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once unto the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What is us? Well, it's a collective pronoun that stands for a group of individuals. And it is each of us that Jesus Christ shed His blood for. And it's that personal atonement that we will praise God for in eternity. Revelation 5.9 says, They sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us 
to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. It's a personal atonement. So notice with me finally, the real Savior. The real Savior. You know, all those Old Testament sacrifices, that was just a preview. That was just the world's longest infomercial. That's what that was right there. Pointing forward to one day when Jesus Christ would show up on this earth as a little baby. And He would live that perfect life. And then ultimately give His life on the cross for you and for me. He would die, be buried, and rise again so that we could be saved from our sins. Not just so that we could avoid the consequences for another 12 months, but so that we could be eternally saved, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have a home in heaven for all of eternity. Think about the parallels in that Old Testament system and, what, and, and Jesus and what He did for us. Just a few to, to, to think about. In the Old Testament, when you come to Exodus chapter 13, the story of the Passover, you find through that story that God said all of the firstborn males were to be sacrificed or consecrated to the Lord. And Jesus was the firstborn of Mary. Luke 2 verse number 7, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in the swaddling clothes. Every animal sacrifice in the Old Testament law, it was stipulated it had to be without blemish. You could not bring God your second-hand sacrifices. It had to be the best thing that you could offer. It had to be without spot and without blemish. And Jesus Christ was perfectly, is perfectly without spot or blemish. It says in 1 John 3 in verse number 5, And ye know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. The Passover sacrifice especially was stipulated it had to be a male lamb without blemish. Exodus 12 verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And when John saw Jesus coming, when he was baptizing people there in John chapter 1, it says that John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus gave Himself as our perfect, permanent, personal sacrifice to atone for our sins forever. He died for us so that we might live through Him. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. You did not bring a lamb with you to church today. We did not take an animal and offer it as a sacrifice in our worship to the Lord today. And that is because Jesus fulfilled those requirements when He gave Himself as a sacrifice for you and for me. Have you trusted Him as your Savior? Or are you still trying to make payments on your sin debt? Is your life a living testimony to Christ's sacrifice for you? Are you honoring Him by living righteously? 
Do you even consider from day to day what Christ has done for you? And are you sharing this wonderful message with others? There are people all around us, literally all around us. We rub shoulders with them every single day who are trying to solve their own sin problem. And they need us to share the truth of the gospel that Jesus has already paid the price. If they would just place their faith in Him, they would be saved as well. Our Heavenly Father, thank You so much for sending Your Son to die on the cross for our sins. Thank You that He is the permanent, perfect sacrifice and that we do not have to repeat it. Thank You, Lord, that when Jesus was on the cross, He said, It is finished. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, I pray that we would not forget what Jesus has done for us by living self-righteously, thinking that our works and our efforts could somehow please you and appease you. But just as we are saved by Christ, by grace through faith, may we walk every day and live like our Savior by grace through faith. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Do you know for sure that Christ is your Savior today? You know, all of the festivities and the decorations and the traditions that we've celebrated for the last month should serve as a reminder to us that we are sinners and need a Savior. And if there's never been a point in your life where you chose to trust Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, I want to invite you to make that decision today. I know there are many here who have trusted Christ. Are you living in light of His sacrifice for you? Do you even consider all that Jesus did to save you from your sins? Because when you, when you stop and think about that, that's the greatest motivation not to live a sinful life, not to live a self-righteous life, but instead to honor His sacrifice by living humbly and holy.